Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon at Fountain City Church. We hope that you are blessed by this message today. If you'd like to learn more, you can check out our website at fountaincity.org. Right now, we want to invite uh, Dr. Mark Merrill. Um, Pastor Mark is what I call him. Pastor Mark, I met him years back when he was pastoring the assembly in Warner Robins. Uh, my dad was a superintendent at the time, and so I got to interact with him. Um, and through the years, I'll be honest, guys, he has been very gentle and gracious with me because sometimes I'm a moron. And he's been very kind to help lead me and guide me in the right directions. Uh, and so it has been a real pleasure to see him over the past how many years now in this role? Two and a half years, probably feels like five or seven or something. Um, but he has done an incredible job of leading all of the Assemblies of God churches in our state, which is 220 some odd churches-ish. Okay. And so we're, we're right in the neighborhood. So he's um, in other movements. They would call him a bishop. In our movement, we call him superintendent. Uh, essentially, he puts out a lot of fires for crazy things that are happening. He disciples and mentors leaders, and he loves people really well, and so does his wife. Would you guys just stand and let us recognize Would you guys just give him a round of applause? Christy, would you come, baby? Yeah, so we would actually just brought a basket that we want to present you guys. If you give it to Miss Gretchen, Pastor Mark's not going to be able to do anything with that. Uh, but this morning, he's going to lead us also through just setting us in order. And so, Pastor Mark, you're at the wheel. Thank you, man. Yep, love you. Hey, how many would say amen that your pastor is not a moron? <laughs> amen. Yeah, that's right. Remind him of that often. Listen, it's a pleasure to be here. It's so great to see all of you, to share in this wonderful, special day. Let me just say a few words before we kind of get into this little formality that we have before us today. And that is that I'm so uh, just proud and thankful for the call of God upon Grant and Chrissy in the way that they've been courageous enough to follow a dream and to be faithful to it and to see something come to life. I, you have done it on, on a unique journey with your girls and uh, you've had a great supporting cast, as I can see, by these folks that are around you today. And uh, you guys are in partnership in watching a church move from infancy to adolescence to adulthood. And if, you, if you're ever given the opportunity to be a part of that, which you are, it'll be the most exciting journey you've ever had in your entire life. Uh, to literally see God take nothing and create something out of its life-giving that causes people to be born again. Uh, to be touched with his power, to be restored and healed and put back together. Listen, would you just give God a hand clap of praise for the opportunity he's given you to be a part of a world-changing church? Amen. And I also want to pause and say how much I love his folks. Rick and Jane, I love you. And uh, Rick uh, preceded me in this office of superintendent and uh, learned so much for, from him. He's a man of wisdom. Uh, Jane is, is the classiest lady I know. And uh, I've learned so much from them, and you are gifted with them to have uh, a presence of wisdom uh, to guide and lead you through some things in a unique way that most church plants of, of this nature don't have. And so I love you guys. Would you give them a hand as well, please? So we're going to enter in this little opportunity to set this church in order. And I know most of you probably don't know what that means, and that's okay. Let me just say this to you, that in the Jewish faith... 
there are rites of passage by which they recognize certain pivotal moments, primarily when someone moves from infancy to adolescence to adulthood. It's called a bar mitzvah and a bat mitzvah. And in a sense, that's really what we're having at this moment today, to recognize that God has taken a dream, formed it into a group, uh, now being a living organism and an organization, and moved it from a place of dependency to a place of self-sufficiency. There's all kinds of term that, terms we use in the Sims of God, which is not important at this moment at all. But it simply recognizes that really, in, in, in a record pace, God's blessing and favor has rested upon, rested upon this church to bring it to a place where now it can govern its own affairs and begin to reach out in its community in its own self-directed way. And so for that moment of spiritual adulthood, we give God glory and honor and praise. And so, uh, Grant, I'd like for you and Christy to please stand at this time. Uh, I have the formal duty to set this church in order, but I need a motion to do so. Do I have a motion? And from the better half, do we have a second? Would you all please stand and say amen if you agree to setting this church in order? Amen. And would you just take this moment right now and begin to thank God for Fountain City Church and the dream that now lives. Would you do that? Father, I just want to thank you and praise you, Lord, for the dream that now lives. God, for many years, Lord, there was something that stirred inside of Grant and Chrissy's spirit that now has come to life. And that, Lord, by your grace, you have drawn partners into this process, people who believe in the vision of impacting this part of Columbus. And, Lord, what has begun here will not end here. Lord, it will grow beyond this place. It will move to other spaces and locations. But one thing will remain the same, and that is that your presence and your power guides, Lord, every step of the process. And so, Lord, we reverence you. We reverence what you are doing in building a church. And the promise, Lord, that your word carries that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Now, God, as we set this church in order, may every blessing... And, and favor of the Lord rest upon this place, upon these pastors, upon their lives, upon their girls, that, Lord, they would receive everything they need just when they need it. And God will give you all the glory for it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Can you just give the Lord a hand and clap of praise? Amen. Bless you guys. Thank you. If you would turn your Bibles, please, to Joshua chapter 4. I want to speak to you this morning on the subject, Never Forget, and I am notoriously long-winded, okay? Those that know me, please don't say amen. You might hurt my feelings. But I, I, have, I have to move through this very quickly this morning. But, but I just want to say this. I, I'm only two and a half years out of local church pastoring, and so I don't think that my uh, perceptions or, or thoughts are all that thought-provoking or profound. But in looking back over ministry, I've, I've come to realize that the great work of the church grant is to collect up memorial stones. And as you look back over your shoulder and you're 25 years in or 30 years in or 50 years in, that you can see waypoints of the favor and faithfulness of God where these are memorial stones that have led you from space to space and place to place. And in that moment, you realize that you didn't do any of it, but God did it. And so in this moment that we have today on this very special time together of setting the church in order and, and, and recognizing the growth and development of the church, I want to share with you a message called Never Forget. Never Forget. Look with me, Joshua chapter 4, verses 21 and 22. He said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their fathers, What do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. Let's read that one more time. He said to the Israelites, in the future, when your descendants ask their fathers, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan 
on dry ground. Father, thank you, Lord, for this holy moment. God, this time in your presence. Lord, I, I so love Fountain City Church because, Lord, there's a sense that they respect and reverence the presence of the Lord. They give space for you, Lord. And, Lord, in this space now, Lord, in which I am to occupy by sharing the word, may you come and be sovereign through it all. God, may you speak things and do things, Lord, that only you can bring about, only things that you know about to touch lives and needs that you so deeply care for. So, Lord, in this moment now, we pray that you will give Fountain City a word, Lord, that will set them on a trajectory and a course toward your intended destination. And God will give you glory and honor for this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. There's going to be an image that will appear before me, or excuse me, behind me on the screen, and I want to give you a little story behind it. Uh, I was in seventh grade, and I grew up in a little one-stoplight town in Oklahoma, uh, eastern part of the state, and uh, so th there was a lot, lots of things that, that people in larger cities might take for granted that was a big deal in small towns, and on this particular day in seventh grade for me, there was a big deal in that the teacher asked us to go down to the media center to the library, and we all assembled in chairs around a big television screen, actually a couple of them, and we were going to watch the Space Shuttle Challenger launch into space. The reason why it was significant to our teachers is that many of them had applied in a nationwide search for a teacher educator to become an astronaut and to be the first educator to go into space. The one who won was Krista McAuliffe. She was from New Hampshire. And uh, there was a sense of fraternity and a sense of pride among our teachers of saying, here is one of us that's going to go up into space for the very first time. And I remember we gathered there in the media room, and we did the countdown, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. And I can remember as the Space Shuttle Challenger lifted up off the ground and was going up into the sky, all of us as kids began to clap and to celebrate. And I, I saw the teachers, they were wiping tears. And then just in a matter of seconds, this horrible image that I have behind me happens. The Space Shuttle Challenger explodes, and there's a silence that falls over a bunch of irreverent seventh graders. No one can speak a word. Teachers are literally just awestruck. Remember, as they ask us to stand up, to walk single file back to our classrooms, again, this was a different time in America, and asked us to lay our heads down on our desk and pray in reverence for what had just happened, what we witnessed. It was a moment that we said we would never forget. Remember the Tyler's message, we are to never forget. I also want to share with you a few other of these moments, and I want to dial you up progressively for those of you in the room. There's another image on the screen now behind me. This one comes from November of 1963. I wasn't on planet Earth at that time. It would be another 10 years before I would make my entrance, but my mother tells me that she knew exactly where she was at when this particular event happened. She was a 21, 22-year-old uh, factory worker in Dixie Cup, Fort Smith, Arkansas. Had two little kids, my brother and sister, that were just three and five years old at that time. And uh, it came out over the, the loudspeakers that our president, John F. Kennedy, had been shot in Dealey Plaza in uh, Dallas, Texas. It was one of those moments where if you were there at that time, you remember what you were wearing, who you were standing next to, the surroundings that you saw around you. It was a moment you said that you would never forget. Now to another one, this one happened in my lifetime, 1994. I'm a youth pastor back in my hometown of Oklahoma making a run to the post office when an announcement comes over the radio that the federal building in Oklahoma City, about 175 miles west of where I was at, had been bombed. 
They thought it would be terrorist, uh, but it was a homegrown terrorist, one of our very own, who was frustrated with the way our government was working, and then sets a, a truck in front of the building, killing 169 people, most of them in a daycare, little children. And in, as for us Okies, we all gathered together, all of our churches filled during that time. President Clinton came and said, I feel your pain in the national address. And we said it was a moment that we would never forget. Let me go a little bit further now, another image on the screen. I'm beginning to include more people into the room now and beginning to jog your memory. But on this particular image, I was now, for me personally, I was in Tulsa, Oklahoma, pastoring in the suburbs there. I just made it to the office when Gretchen gave me a call, said, would you come home? said, there's something weird happening. I said, well, what is it? She said, well, a pastor plane or a plane of some sort has flown into one of the buildings in New York. She said, Mark, I'm kind of scared. And at that time, my daughter, who's 22, will be married next May. And my son, who is a sophomore at Mercer University, uh, they were only just, uh, let's see here, three and 18 months. And, and Hayden was toddling around the room. So I come home, and as, as soon as I walked through the door, the second plane flew in the building. Trillion dollars were lost in the stock market that day. The economy crashed. We saw couple of thousand lives lost that day, all of the, the unfolding events that led us into war. And we as Americans, we had another mantra. What did we say? We will never forget. And I'm giving you all these horrible days because bad times have a way of making an indelible mark upon the hard drive of our memory in a way that good days don't. I don't know why that's the case, but oftentimes we remember the bad times. But even among those times, we have a tendency to forget. I want you to think about some good times in your life. Maybe the day you got married, the birth of a child. Uh, for some that are younger here, the day you got your driver's license. I still remember that. See, all these events that we have have a way of just creating who we are and giving us a perspective upon life. But as time goes on, it just fades. The meaning, the significance, the importance, the impact of that moment just begins to fade. Why am I saying that today on this particular day? Because this is a holy moment. This is a special day. You need to have a sense of gratitude that enraptures your heart today that says, I remember the day when Fountain City in its infancy came to life as its own self-supporting church. And from that, now hundreds have been saved. That this building that you look around and see, it won't look like this for long. And, and then shortly after that, it won't be able to hold you anymore. And you'll have another location and maybe another and another and maybe multiple campuses. I don't know what God will do by his spirit, but it's important in this moment that you never forget. Grant, it's important that you never forget the blood, the sweat, the tears that you're putting into this place, the way it looked before you got here, the way it will ultimately shape and form. All of these things are very important to remember because throughout the ages, the people of God have always been afflicted with a form of spiritual amnesia. We know that amnesia can occur when people experience an accident, particularly a fall or a head injury, when swelling on the brain impairs cognitive abilities. And there's a parallel here for us. Our amnesia or forgetting often occurs following an unexpected time of trouble, maybe through an unprecedented season of prosperity. But something happens in our life by which we simply begin to forget. This sad experience has been repeated from the time of Moses until today. In our theme passage taken from Joshua 4, God wanted to remedy the spiritual amnesia of his people through prescribing some memorial stones so that they would never forget. Now in Israel, if you go there, rocks are everywhere. From big boulders to pebbles under your feet, the Holy Land is a very rocky land. And so stones weren't a 
big deal, but they were plentiful in supply. And so they wanted to collect them in a certain way and organize them in a certain way that it would help them to always remember the faithfulness of God. So allow for me to paint for you a picture. After 40 years of wandering aimlessly through the desert, the people of God have finally entered the promised land. It could be a picture of salvation for us today. From their miraculous deliverance, God has sustained them from one miracle to another to lead them to this place where they're now in a land that flows with milk and honey. It's now where the dream is alive. The thing that had captured their heart and motivated them through 40 years of suffering, it's now alive. The older generation had experienced one of those powerful moments in their history where they were like in November of 1963, they knew where, where they were standing, who was standing beside them, what they were wearing in that moment when God caused the waters of the Red Sea to part. And then Pharaoh came running after them, only allowing the waters to crash down upon Pharaoh so that they were delivered in that moment. That was their Moses miracle, their Moses moment that they would never forget. But now there was a younger generation, a younger generation who had not been exposed to the previous faithfulness of God in the Red Sea moment, and now they were needing their Joshua moment. And they were needing a moment by which their faith could be built, by which their spiritual memory could be anchored. And in Joshua, Joshua 3, the scripture reveals that the Jordan River was at flood stage. The river had swollen beyond its banks. It was deep. The water was moving fast. The situation was out of control. The water was way too deep and moving way too fast for a couple of million people to pass safely through. So Joshua placed priests at the front with the Ark of the Covenant, which was symbolic of God's presence. And as they stepped into the waters, the waters parted. The Bible says the waters came up in a heap. They piled up upstream several miles away so that the people could walk over on dry ground. Even the, the soupy riverbed, I believe, was dried up in that moment so they could cross over safely. I just pause to say here for a moment, this is just dropped in my heart. For every out-of-control situation in your life, invite the presence of God in that situation, and God will make a way where there seems to be no way. Maybe that's for one of you today. That's what happened here. It was an out-of-control situation, but they invited the presence of God in the situation, and God made a way for them. And when they got to the other side, it was important for them to be able to remember what God had done. So God gave specific instructions to Joshua. He said, choose one man from each tribe, 12 tribes, and go out and get these, the biggest stone you could find, and I want you to place it here on the, on the opposite side of the, the riverbank, and I want you to pile the stones there so that when another generation comes about, and they ask, what are these stones are about? You can tell them on this day, God parted the waters. God made a way where there seemed to be no way, and that God allowed us to cross over on dry ground. Never forget. You see, God knows something about us. He knows that we are prone to forget. When you look at the symbolic imagery of the various ceremonies of the Old Testament, all they were were just constructive tools that God used to help people not to forget. To be able to see in a visual form his faithfulness in their spiritual lives. God was concerned that they would forget. God was tying the memory of his faithfulness to a ceremony that would cause them to remember. In all of our lives, there are some memorial stones. These memorial stones are not actually rocks or stones, but they're places and experiences and moments where the faithfulness of God overcame the cruel realities of life through his blessing and power. You see, you can't see it right now, but there once existed a church before this church. And they went through difficult times, so difficult the fact that they had to close. But I guarantee you that if we could see beyond this natural realm into a spiritual realm, there are memorial stones all over this place, Grant. 
right over here, someone came to Jesus and their life was changed. Over here, a family's life was put back together when they were on the brink of divorce. Someone was in a service back here over on the left. And as this old hymn was sung many years ago, they felt the presence of God touch their body and they were physically healed. And here's the exciting part. There'll be many more memorial stones that will come about through Fountain City Church where God will move and touch lives and you will allow your collection of memorial stones to be built up here. If you believe that, say amen. Growing up, my grandparents lived in the country outside of Salisaw, Oklahoma. I doubt you've ever heard of it. If you've ever read The Grapes of Wrath by John Steinbeck, uh, that the Grapes of Wrath story began in Salisaw, Oklahoma in that novel. And so they grew up outside this little town, and Papa and Granny owned uh, about 300 acres around them. And though they had all this vast land, literally right across the street from their house, one day Papa is just going out there to explore, and he crawls through a barbed wire fence and begins to, to, to look around, and he trips over something. And as he trips and gets up, he notices that there are stones that have been obscured because the weeds have grown up around them. And as he begins to clear back the weeds, he finds a little cemetery from the early 1800s of people who had lived there and died and been buried but had been forgotten. And I give that little mental picture this morning to say that's how it is with the memorial stones of our life. Sometimes, just as time goes on, weeds grow up and these memories are obscured, these experiences are obscured, and we just forget about them. Like the people in that cemetery who were once vital and living and meaningful to this world, who had been forgotten because of neglect, sometimes because of spiritual neglect in our lives, the weeds grow over our memorial stones and we just forget how good God has been. Today, we're going to call you into remembrance of those things. So let me give you some principles of why we can never forget this morning. Number one, remembering roots out spiritual attitude problems. Remembering roots out spiritual attitude problems. Every spiritual attitude problem is tied to a spiritual memory problem. Deuteronomy 8, verses 11 through 18. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud. Notice, and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. I could go into a lot of contemporary lessons here, uh, but just let me pause for a moment to say that God is warning his people in this original context to not forget what he had done because if they did, they would develop an attitude problem. Pride and arrogance would overtake their heart. I just want to give you a, a little word of warning here. You have a bright future, a bright future that will see much more success than what you've seen to this moment because these days are hard. And when it happens, don't believe for a second that your spirituality or your ingenuity or your creativity or innovation created that reality for you. No, it's been the faithfulness of God who spoke to a man's heart to culture and, and, and uh, to cultivate and nurture a dream and see a dream become a reality. And through that, God now has done something to change the spiritual landscape of a city that's lost without him. It's very important to see that he, it is he who builds the house, not us. Because when we begin to remember that it began with God and it ends with God, it roots out a spiritual attitude problem that many times can cause us to hold God in contempt. 
You see, we go through hard times and we forget, but sometimes we go through times of prosperity and we forget. I always get in trouble when I tell this story because Gretchen always goes back home and tells Reagan this illustration I give about her. And so, and usually it's been streaming somewhere, so she goes to watch this because I've, I've preached this message before. And, uh, and then she, everybody's mad at me for a week. So I just want to say this to you. My daughter is a wonderful human being. She is just almost a saint like her mother. And so, I mean, she, she is fantastic in every way, but she's also lived the life of an adolescent child. She's now 22. So when I tell this story, don't think she's a spoiled brat, okay? So will you say this out loud? Say, Reagan is not a spoiled brat. Okay, okay, I have a disclaimer on video now. Thank you so much. You've saved me today. But my daughter has always had my heart. She's a mini-me, and usually she kind of gets what she wants. She comes home one Christmas from college, and she said, you know, Dad, this is like on a weeknight. You know, Dad, I've been thinking. I said, well, what have you been thinking about, sis? She said, I've been thinking how I need a new car. True story. I said, you have. I said, well, how are you going to pay for this? Daddy, you know I'm not going to pay for this. I said, okay, so, you know, Reagan, I already had given you. No, Daddy, I need an SUV. I said, well, don't tell your mama. Let's go down, let's go down the street. So we kind of slipped. I said, hey, we'll be back after a while. And sure enough, a couple hours later, we come back with her an SUV. And so that was her Christmas present that year. And so as I gave that to her, I'm going to tell you, she was incredibly nice to me. Oh, I mean, bad in her eyes, Daddy. Daddy, can I rub your feet? Daddy, can I get you tea? Daddy, 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 Daddy. This went on for a couple of weeks because she was home, and I noticed a little something began to change. You see, while she was in this daddy mode, we could walk into her room. Everything was pristine. Everything in its proper place. Everything was just spotless. She was on top of that room. But I noticed she stopped calling me daddy and was dad. And then sometimes it was like, okay. And then I'm peeking her room and it's getting a little dirty now. And I went up to her car and the floor mats are getting dirty and it's got a little mud on the tires. And I'm seeing this shift and change in, in Reagan because now what was once new and exciting and a blessing to her, she's now slowly like all of us beginning to take for granted. We do this as Christians as well. We're desperate. We need something from God. God works a miracle in our life. We prayed for healing this morning. Some of you will be touched by his power. God will work in your life. The affliction will go, and you will say, Daddy, no one will have to tell you to worship when you come to church. I mean, you will throw your hands up in the air and woo, and all this. But after a while, your hands will come down to half-mast. You won't lift your hands at all. Maybe you won't even come to church. And after God worked the miracle, maybe instead of keeping your hearts clean, keeping a short list through your repentance in terms of your accounts with God, maybe some junk begins to build up in your life because, you know, God isn't as real as he once was. And slowly, slowly, slowly we begin to forget, and with forgetting comes this attitude problem that begins to take hold of our lives. You see, what's true of adolescent kids and what's true of modern-day Christians was true of the Israelites if we're getting everything, what we, everything we want with the cherry on top, we think that the work of our hands and the depth of our spirituality produces these things for us. But it's only through the faithfulness of God. Number two, remembering anchors our life to the miraculous. When you trace God's miraculous workings in the Old Testament, he always seemed to leave something behind in order for people to remember. The memorial stones in our passage, God caused Elijah to leave his mantle behind to Elisha in order to remember his double portion anointing. The 
Passover celebration and Exodus, all of that was just leaving behind something to remember. Why does God do this? To anchor our life to the miraculous. People get all spooky about Elisha and Elijah and the mantle. The power was not in the coat. The power was from God. It was only a physical reminder to Elisha that the work that God would do through him was from God, from heaven, and not from anything he produced in himself. God always gives us something to anchor our life to the miraculous. And for every storm of life, we need an anchor. And if, your anchor is, if the anchor of your life is, is there now anchored in your own self-determination or your money or even your head knowledge about God, you're going to get tossed around a bunch. However, if there's ever been a moment when all hope was lost and everybody in this world has given up on you and doctors gave up hope on you and couldn't treat you and banks wouldn't touch you and loved ones walked out on you and then you called out to Jesus and Jesus became your rescue and Jesus became your help and Jesus worked miraculously in your life, then you know what it is to have your life anchored to the power of the miraculous. It is the recalling of God's power that will arm you with a belief that will overcome every spiritual attack of your life, every discouragement that comes from the devil, every insecurity of your heart. If you're against the wall this morning and you don't think there's any way out, remember a time in which God has been faithful to you and ask him to do it again. Here's number three, remembering preserves spiritual legacy. In every age when forgetting becomes commonplace and systemic, there always arose a generation that knew not God. When one generation stopped remembering the stories of God's faithfulness, the next generation did not have faith for themselves. And this is a big issue. In our own brand of Christianity, of which we're a part of, of the spirit-empowered life, we've gone from one generation that experienced the supernatural to another generation who's entertained by the stories of the supernatural to the next generation who doubts the supernatural and finally to a generation who fears the supernatural. That's why I'm so encouraged by what I see here this morning because you're taking time to reverence the presence of God to allow him to speak. You're making time, Fountain City Church, for God to move miraculously in your life and to touch the physical needs that you have within your life. You see, it's important because we need that kind of personal experience with God if we're going to preserve spiritual legacy, if faith is going to be passed on from one generation to the next. We have a sacred responsibility to take the truth of God and see that it's passed down to the next generation. Psalm 102 verse 18 says, Let this be written for a future generation, that a people not yet created may praise the Lord. Those who are older have a special obligation to pass on the stories of what God did for them. Psalm 71, verse 18, Even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me, O God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your might to all who are to come. In the job description of Fountain City Church, is, it, is, it is this, to experience the faithfulness and goodness of God and to tell the story of it over and over and over again until the stories of the faithfulness of God are tattooed on the hearts of the next generation to pass on that spiritual legacy. Joshua makes clear parents bear the first responsibility as it relates to their children. Parents, God holds you accountable for the spiritual development of your kids. Your sons and daughters must look to you for answers. And when they ask you, what do these stones mean, what will you say? What will you say? I want to close with a story today that maybe will take on a personal dimension for many of you. Uh, Rick and Jane knows me and Gretchen pretty well. So does Grant and Chrissy. Uh, but they may not know the, these things about us. I'm going to invite the musicians to come, please, as well. But if you were to go to our home, 
This is not true seven days a week, but it's true a lot of the time. That you would observe in our home that Gretchen is almost neurotic when it comes to cleanliness and neatness. For example, if you walk into our bedroom, we have two nightstands. We have my nightstand and her nightstand. On her nightstand, literally angels hover over her nightstand. And as they flap their little beautiful wings, you can almost smell potpourri coming your direction. Just little little sense of sweetness, you know. If you go over to my nightstand, it looks like Oscar the Grouch threw up on it. I mean, it just... We're just, we're just wired differently. Come on, married couples. Don't look at me like I'm crazy. Don't leave me up here to die. And so, you know, uh, and Rick and Jane can attest to this. Uh, you, you, in this new role in life we have, you spend a lot of time on the road. And, uh, and that was even true a little bit for me while pastoring. And this, this happened while we were pastoring. I'd been busy and stuff was going on. And Gretchen's like, Mark, can you clean your nightstand? Like, Mark, I, I am, like, sick of this. I'm not going to divorce you, but I'm, I'm thinking about it. I mean, it's like, you got to clean that nightstand. Yeah, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. I'll get to it. I'll get to it. So, finally, I don't know what came over me. Bad Saturday college football. I don't know. But I went and got one of those industrial contractor bags, like the, I don't know, 80-gallon ones. I don't know. They're huge. And I drag it into our bedroom, and I start going through my nightstand. And I started finding all of these old presents that my mother-in-law had given me through the years for Christmas little, <laughs> some of y'all didn't get that, but anyway, these little, these little knives and little flashlights and, uh, oh, okay, anyway, sorry, I'll explain it to you later. Anyway, so I'm throwing all this stuff away. I just realized your mother, your mom's living with us now, and I, this may be streaming right now. I love you, Mary. I love you, uh, but I started throwing all this stuff away, and there's all these papers and all this stuff, and I mean, it's just, I'm finding like stuff from my high school years and things I'd forgotten. And I was like, oh, wow, I don't have to buy that now. Because, I mean, it's all just crammed in this nightstand. And on this top drawer of the nightstand, I have it here. I'm reaching back in the back. And you'll just have to pardon me. I'm going to have to make my mask work for this. I, I, I reach back in there, and I feel something, and I pull it out. And this is my mask, but it was a handkerchief. And I've not seen this handkerchief in years, years. And I looked on the handkerchief and I opened it up and written around the perimeter of the, of the handkerchief was writing, my handwriting. And I'd written something very specific on there that I'll tell you about in a moment. And my mind began to go back to think about the origins of this handkerchief. Back in the 90s, there was a big revival going on down in Florida, and it was, it was it's controversial then and now. People have different opinions, and whatever your opinion is, if you know about it, I'm, I'm cool with that. It, it doesn't matter. God did something good for me there. I'll leave it at that. But we were going through a very tough time in our family. I was pastoring my first church. My dad had committed a, a felony, a crime. Uh, our families were in the newspaper. I had to remove him from the church and membership. He was also on my board. I had to remove him from there. And he got a petition against me to have me voted out as the pastor. And it failed. Then when that failed, he filed a lawsuit against me. And I was about as low as you could get. I was really just hurting a lot. And my mother was going through this. She said, you know, son, you're my pastor now. What I think you need to do is you need to go down to Florida to where that revival's going on and you need God to fix you. 
I said, Mom, God can fix me right here. I don't need to go anywhere. He knows where I live. After a while, just kind of eating on me, eating on me. It's amazing how the voice of your mom sounds like the Holy Spirit. Jane, settle down over there. You're out of order, Jane. Stop. And so I'm telling you, I, I, I gave into it. And I thought, well, I'll take the people to church. Forty of us. 22 years old, 23 years old, driving a 27-passenger van. I now know how Moses felt going through the wilderness. I wanted to kill those people by the time I got there. I didn't feel like I was saved. I went to the first day. We, we waited outside for 11 hours in the sun. Look at this complexion. I mean, I, I was so sick after that. I didn't know what I had, mesothelioma. You know, I, it just, I was bad, okay? I was hurting, okay? And so, I, and I got to the first service night, and I'm like, I, man, I don't feel good. I don't feel anything except the fact that I'm, my body's just about to, to give up. So the next day, I said, I'm not, I'm not doing this again. I went to the hotel. I slept. I went to the beach. I come back that night, and we sat in the overflow. That means you didn't get sitting in the, in the main deal, and God, I was already began doing a work in me, and I won't take time to tell you about that. When the service came to an end, my sister, who's 13 years older than me, she disappeared. I was trying to gather the group together and get out of there. She disappeared. I said, where's Sherry? I said, oh, she went over to the main building. I said, what? I said, yes, she went over there. Thought, That's not like her. She's very just, you know, I'm more the mouthy one. She's more behind the scenes, quiet. She goes over there. I didn't know what was going on, but if you were there in the revival in those days, these evangelists that were there, it was just almost gross how people would just gather around them. I mean, they would just, just, just like trying to tear at them to say, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me. There's just this mob. My sister wasn't like that, and she, she didn't do it on this occasion. So while all this was going on, they're walking around, this mob, my sister is standing over here like this with her arms crossed and her head down and all of a sudden the guy that was used of God in that revival his name was Steve Hill is down with Jesus now he's got this mob around him and he goes you lady ma'am you my sister looks up and says me yes you he comes out of the crowd stands in front of her he said ma'am I don't know you from anywhere he said but the Holy Spirit has spoke to me and says that your family's been destroyed. But today he's going to fill your heart with hope. He's going to touch you with his power. And God is going to begin the healing process in your life, in your spirit, in your family today. He lays hands on her. She just falls out under the power of God, falls to the floor. She's standing there just, just laying there just trembling, praying, thanking God. And all of a sudden, if you ever saw those services, that, that guy, Steve Hill, he would carry a handkerchief with him. He would wrap it around his microphone. He took that handkerchief, and he leans down over my sister, who has her eyes closed, and says, Ma'am, take my handkerchief, and I want you to hold on to it and remember that this is the day that God healed your family. I want to tell you, that was, that was pretty precious to my sister. We came back to our home church, and I want to tell you, this revival thing broke out. I mean, the first Sunday back, it looked like a gas leak had hit the building. Just people touched by God's power, people laying over here. The, the church didn't empty out till 3 o'clock the next morning. People just receiving from God. A couple of weeks went on, and we were getting news press, and newspapers were coming to interview me. I'm 22, 23 years old. I mean, I don't know what I'm doing. 
And my sister's seeing all this tremendous responsibility that's on me. And one night I'm in the altar, she comes to me and she says, Brother, she said, you need this handkerchief more than I do. She said, you need to remember, brother, that God's doing this, not you. So I want you to have this. So I took it and I began doing just like Steve Hill. I'd wrap it around my microphone. People started criticizing me. They started actually accusing me that this is what I thought the power was from. It was my reminder to me that it came from God, not, not, not me. So I carried it around. That day she gave it to me, I wrote around the edges. This is the day the Lord healed our family. All the little particular details. So now all these years later, I've moved from Muldrow, Oklahoma, to Tulsa, Oklahoma, to Charlotte, North Carolina, to Warner Robins, Georgia. I'm reaching in the back. I pull it out. It's faded. It's dingy. It's yellow. I can barely read the writing. And instantly all of it came back to me. What was odd is that week my sister had had a conversation with me that her only daughter had a high-risk pregnancy. They thought she was going to lose the baby and could it even endanger her own life. Blood pressure was going crazy. My niece had gone through a crisis in her faith through secular university that caused her to question the existence of God and had gone through all this stuff and through some painful marriages and it was just bad. And I took that cloth, that handkerchief, and I put it in an envelope And I sent it to my sister that week and said, Sis, as God has been faithful before, God will be faithful again. Remember. She took that out. She went to my niece's house. My niece didn't know it. She slipped it in her bed, underneath her uh, pillow in her bed. She slept on it. I want to tell you, my niece lived. She gave birth to what's now a five-year-old demon-possessed. <laughs> Holy terror who's as mean as a Georgia rattlesnake. I don't know. I... Here's my message to you today, memorial stones. I've, I've gone long, Grant, I'm sorry. I know we're here to commemorate Fountain City. Today we're laying down memorial stones. But God always comes to minister to people, not organizations. And I wonder if you could reach back in the nightstand of your heart this morning. And you could pull out just one time God's been faithful to you. Just one time. Just one time. And you would stand on that today and believe that God could be faithful to you again for the crisis you're going through. Because I know in a crowd this size, probably 40 to 50% of you are going through something right now. Something that God needs to do. Something that God needs to undertake. And if you could just remember one time, one time, would you grab hold of that old handkerchief that's in your heart? And say, God, would you do it again for me right now? Stand with me, please. Father, on this day that's dedicated, Lord, to Fountain City and the great thing you've done here. God, we pause to remember your faithfulness to us as human beings, as individuals. And God, we reach back into the recesses of our heart and our memories and we pull out a memorial stone, a handkerchief, to remember just one time, Lord, you've been faithful to us. Maybe when you saved us. Maybe when you healed us. Healed a relationship. Provided a financial miracle. Whatever it is, Lord. We, 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 we hold on to it right now, Lord. We, we cherish it. And God, from that faithfulness, we have faith 
to believe for you to do it one more time. One more time, Lord. To move mountains one more time. So, Father, as we begin to come into a time of commitment, may you give courage to those to recognize their need, to agree, to trust, to pray, Lord, and to commit this to you, knowing, Lord, that if you've been faithful once, you'll be faithful again. In Jesus' name. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Somebody looking around. How many would say today, Pastor, I just, I need the Lord to be faithful to me one more time. I need God to work something out for me that I just don't seem to be able to work out. And I'm needing this help today. If that's you, would you just lift up your hand and leave it lifted? I'm not going to call you forward, I promise. Just going to leave you right where you're at. Just leave it up, leave it up, leave your hand lifted. Thank you. So many of you. Praise the Lord. Now I want you to remember the faithfulness of God in your life and trust him right now for this as your hand is lifted. And let's trust him one more time for God to do something great for you right now. Father, right now as these hands are lifted and memories are engaged and faith is growing on the inside of us, God, would you take, Lord, this simple gesture of faith and move a mountain for us today? God, would you make a way where there seems to be no way? Would you cause us to cross over an out-of-control situation on dry ground? Would you, Lord, help us to overcome not in our power but in yours? Because, Lord, we confess we have no power. Then, Lord, when you do this, God, we're going to lay down some memorial stones. We're going to shout and testify and proclaim, God, your faithfulness to others. That what you've done for us, Lord, you will do for someone else who needs you. So now, Father, I pray for restoration. I pray for forgiveness. I pray for deliverance. I pray for healing. I pray for provision. I pray for hope. I pray against despair, depression, anxiety, fear in all forms. God, I pray against diseases that are ravaging the world. That the blood of Jesus would cover these people and protect their life. And that, God, they would live, Lord in the overflow of your glory and hope. God, we thank you for this, and we praise you for touching us, Lord, in just the way we need it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. Would you guys give him a round of applause? Pastor Mark, thank you for that word.